All right. All righty, designer jeans with holes in them. Come on. Let me take the staple out of this. Um, Paul and the worship team just did a great job of kind of setting this talk up. You know, one of the things that we believe, River City, what separates us from other churches is that we expect, we experience, and we believe that God is still moving, he's still healing, that he is bringing life in emotionally, spiritually, and physically. He's restoring, transforming uh, in every way. We believe that. We experience that, and we see that. Um, That's what it is. That's what we have that other churches want or don't have or have lost. And we are in as much danger of losing it, it, as any church at any time. When we stop praying, when we stop pursuing, when we stop seeking transformation, we stop seeking being empowered by the gifts of the Spirit, we start losing it. That's the, that's the difference. That's what it is. Either God is with us and he is moving and he is alive, and every week people are coming up to testify about it, or we're not. It's that simple. You know, whenever... Um, I was in youth ministry. One of the things I would love to ask kids is kind of see where they were with the gospel was, if Jesus walked through the door, what would you do? You know, it's kind of one of those very emotionally driven questions that would, you know, stir kids. And they thought, they, they felt like they were at a beauty pageant or something like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? And, and, and it was, we were worshiping and Paul was talking about the reality of Christ being a human being, that he emptied himself of all of his divinity to walk this earth as a human. If he walked through the door right now, you would ignore him like everyone else who walks through the door. If he was standing right next to me, you wouldn't know that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. You wouldn't know. And they didn't know. I mean, that's how normal he was. To the point where he was even, from, from descriptions in Isaiah, that he was probably a little awkwardly ugly or off a little bit, socially, that people were, you know, that he was despised by people, that when you saw him, there was nothing about his appearance that was attractive, is what scripture says. It was just like us, just like you. (laughs) But he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what made him different. That's what allowed him to accomplish the things, is he had it. And he knew what it was. And it was him listening to the Father, only doing what he saw the Father doing. It was him being led and empowered in every way by the Holy Spirit. And that's where we need to get back to as a church. You know, I've been doing that. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. Well, that's great. Well, I hope this will encourage you. When I flew back from London the very first time, I'd been there two months I'd been to One Life Course Weekend. I flew back, and we met in the living room of someone's house. And this is the talk that I gave to see if people were even interested in being a part of a church like this that had it. Or is this just a crazy idea that I was going to fly back to London and say, I'm pulling out. This is ridiculous. I don't want to have, you know, no one in Jacksonville really wants to do this. Recently, Paul and Lex had a baby. Obviously, that wasn't in the first story. 
but um, they had had a baby, and all of the memories of, of having your first child is kind of flooded back into my reality. Um, you know, them scheduling social time around their baby's schedule, you know, putting their baby to bed at a certain time, then whenever they come into work tired, you know, you can just tell. The bellow is up the whole night. You just know. They don't have to say anything. I just know that that's a reality. Um, you know, but, and, 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 and along the way, you know, they ask us questions about, mainly Laura, but every once in a while they'll ask me one when Laura's not around. Um, but, you know, I, I read all the books whenever it was time for me to be a dad. I read all the books. And I had... Um, Really? No, that's not true. I read some of the books. I, yeah, I read some of the books. But I talked to a lot of guys. I was kind of, I felt like I was ready. But as, as much as I tried to be prepared, there was nothing that prepared me for what God did on the day that Chase came into the world. And I'm not talking about the beautiful miracle. I'm talking about the traumatic experience of seeing a human being coming out of another human being. There's a reason that these are the things horror, horror stories are, and horror movies are made of. Alien is about the birthing process of a human being. That's the reality of it. I'll remember, the, I'll remember it well. It was, Chase was born in October. It was Florida playing the LSU Tigers. And I remember Chris Doring catching a touchdown right at halftime to put the Gators ahead. The score flashing. I'm focused on the game, and I hear the words, turn off the TV, we're having our baby. I calmly assured my wife that I was only glancing and that she had my full attention and participation in this birth. But what I experienced from that point of the afternoon on, a man is not meant to experience. You know, I'm not sure what changed like the birthing um, protocol for men. You know, it used to be back in the day that men, they weren't in the hospital room. They were away from all the stuff that was happening in the hospital room. They were outside of the hospital room in a protected area, you know, chilling out with their friends and the family where they should be. And so I don't know. I don't know what happened where all of a sudden men initiated this desire to be in with the birthing. I don't get it, because we weren't meant to see what happens in the birthing room. That's why doctors are paid so much, because they have to look at a baby coming out of a woman. God has even shielded the woman with a big hump so she can't see what's happening. And so when I looked down to see my wife giving birth to what looked like an avocado... I quickly became aware that this was probably the first of many experiences that I was very unprepared for and that was very unexpected when it came to child rearing. And I tell you that story because in the same way that I had read all about childbirth, I had a loving wife that had told me about childbirth. We had been through classes on childbirth, and I understood childbirth probably more than the average guy, I was not, I had never experienced it before. I didn't understand what was really going to happen, what was really happening. I mean, it was amazing. And a lot of you, myself included, have a similar relationship to the Holy Spirit. 
You see, many of us have read all the books on the Holy Spirit. Many of us have always considered ourselves as a Christian Trinitarians, meaning, yeah, God is threefold, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've read about him. We love him, we say. We pray to him sometimes. But it terrifies us whenever he begins to move in our life. It's scary when we begin to experience him. And often our response to him in our life is unusual. And we become overwhelmed. And we become just like I did that afternoon. We become afraid and we realize, whoa, this is bigger than anything I expected. This is going to require God to intervene. And so what I want to talk about is what our life should look like as a Christian, as opposed to what we've read about and we think or we know it to be like. As a result of our Christian life, whenever, or as a result of us kind of ignoring the Holy Spirit or calling him the black, we don't call him the black sheep of the Trinity. We act like he's the black sheep of the Trinity. We kind of, he's the lesser of the three. You can, I mean, you could say what you want. But think about who you pray to. In the name of Jesus, Father, will you help me? I mean, the reality is most of us don't give the Holy Spirit the credit he is due. We don't pay attention to his, we don't understand his role in our life. But the result is that our Christian life looks nice on the outside. We know all the right things to say. We know all the right books to read. We know how to have quiet times. We know all about discipleship. We come to church every week, but the reality is our life lacks power. That there are no long-term changes in our life as a result of being led by the Spirit. That whenever someone were to look at our life and compare it to someone else who is really religious or devout, there wouldn't, they wouldn't see any difference. Because our experience of Christ, or what we think Christianity is, is all about what we think. If we know the right things. That's why the sermon in a church service has been given so much weight. It's because the belief is, after the Reformation, was that if we tell them the right things, if they get them to think the right way, then, then, then we will have accomplished what we're supposed to accomplish as the church. And so we become people who manage our faith, like we manage the rest of our life, holding things together, doing the best that we can, but again, no authority, no power, no real stuff going on that's worth talking about. I want to read some scripture and just reflect or talk out of what ha- is happening in Jesus' ministry here. What's going on at this point in the story, in the Gospel of John, is that Jesus has ended his public ministry. He's returned to Jerusalem, where he knows he will be killed. So he's headed back, he's in Jerusalem, he knows he's going to be killed. And he knows also that these are his last hours physically on earth. And he's spending time ministering to his disciples and teaching them what it means to follow him. And so what he's really doing at this this critical point, before he's killed and before he's gone, is he's preparing them for the task 
of building the kingdom of God. Prior to this section of scripture, we have Jesus washing his disciples' feet, foretelling his betrayal, and telling them that he's going away. Following this, we have his intercessory prayer for himself, his disciples, and for all his believers. And so let's pick up John 14, verse 1 to 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know, one of the first things that I learned whenever I went or kind of later on in my Christian life was that, um, you know, Jesus doesn't actually live in your heart. I can't tell you how many times I've told kids, high schoolers, you need to accept Jesus in your heart. But he can't live in our heart. He's left us. He says it here. He's gone. He's preparing a place for you. He's preparing a place for you. He does not live in your heart. He's going to go prepare a place, come back and get us. In his absence, though, he has given us his Holy Spirit to live in us, to live with us. He is who lives in your heart. He is who bridges the gap of interaction between you and God. He is the one who speaks to you. He is the one who leads you. He is the one who responds when you pray to Jesus or the Father. Whether you like it or not, he's involved in your prayer life. He's the one. He's the man. He's the fishnizzle gone skizzle in your Christian life. And it's important to note this. Well, Anley, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. If we believe Jesus is living in our hearts, and we pray to the Father, then what's the need we have for the Holy Spirit? At least the natural progression of misunderstanding the role of the Spirit will mean that we will neglect his role in our life. Is that we won't seek him for assistance. It's important because we have to be balanced when it comes to thinking about God, to thinking correctly about God, understanding the role of the Spirit. If we think correctly about God, that will lead to right action. I'm not saying throw out everything that we think about God or think about Jesus or think about the Spirit. But I'm saying we need to learn to think correctly, have perspective about his role in our life. Understanding that we have to be empowered by the Spirit. We have to be seeking to be filled by the Spirit. We have to be doing crazy stuff that only God can do in and through us. Jesus continues in verse four. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, you idiot, Philip. I am the way, he didn't say that. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, And have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. But Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Rather, it is the Father in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. This is one of those scriptures when I was reading it. The, and like, again, like I've been to seminary, I'd read the Gospels, I'd studied the Gospels, and I read this and I'm like, what? In the, how, how did I miss this? Where did this come from? How did I, I mean, it's just right there. You know, the second message of this is that Jesus is trying to establish for us his dependence on the Father, his relationship to the Father. These are Jews who worshiped God, Yahweh, the Father. He was their God. And Jesus, in comforting them, is trying to show them that he and the Father are one. That everything, everything that he said, everything that he has done, everything that he's been doing, was done by the Father living through him. Because he and the Father are one. He says, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then, specifically at the end, I love this. This is great. This is, just, this is great. This is the piece that I never saw before. Jesus appeals not only to their minds of what they've heard him say and teach. Again, they've been walking around. They've been listening to proclaim the gospel. They've been listening to him teach. But he said he not only appeals to what they remember. He not only appeals to what their minds are processing about who he is and what they've heard him say, but also... He appeals to what their experience with him has been. While they have lived and walked with him in ministry, what have they seen the power of God do? You see, Jesus knew that Jews would equate power with Yahweh. Because in their history, it was Yahweh, God the Father, who protected them at the Red Sea with miraculous signs and wonders. All through the Old Testament, seas splitting, fire, pillars of fire, pillars of smoke, water coming out of the rock, all attributes of the living God, of Yahweh, the Father. And Jesus knows, if you don't believe me based on what I've said, then think about what you've been seeing me do. Think about the ministry that's happened. Certainly that will remind you of God our Father, That's whose power I'm moving in. He's the one who's enabled me to do this. It's his spirit living in me that has made me different. In verse 12, he goes on to say this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. What if it said like, anyone who has faith in me, will think the way that I think. And that'd be, that'd be a different statement. Anyone who had faith in me, or anyone who's a Christian, will believe the right things. But that's not what it says. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me, anyone, will do what I've been doing. 
He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Obedience, doing what I've done. I need you to do this. I'm leaving, so you have to carry on. It's basically what he's saying. This is what I feel the most powerful point of this passage. Is Jesus is passing on the ministry of his father. The ministry that he came, that he began. He's getting ready to pass it on. He's getting ready to say, and he's saying to them, look, I'm going to leave. If you have faith in me, you need to continue to do what I've been doing. If you love me, you need to obey. You need to You need to obey and do what I've been doing. He says, if you have faith, you will do these things. And you will do even greater things. What what could that mean? What could Jesus have meant when he said, you'll do greater things than me? I mean, he's Jesus. As people who walk the earth with power go, he's like there. He's setting the bar. He's the most powerful person that's ever walked the earth. And he's telling his disciples, you'll do even greater things than me. Could it mean maybe that the number of disciples that we're going to have is going to be greater than the 12 of the people that he spoke to? More disciples doing ministry in many more places. Could that be what it means? Actually, it's not. A lot of people would like to think, make you think that that's what it believes because it's kind of easy to swallow that pill then. But that's really not what it means. The Greek word here is trans, you know, translated mozzarella. It's really not, but it could have been because I can't pronounce it. Or to say, you know, mozzarella, it's really meozone or whatever. It does not mean, the word here does not mean greater in number. It doesn't mean that. And it's not used that way anywhere in the rest of the fourth gospel, this Greek word here. It means greater in quality, greater in power. It means more impressive. And that's the way that it's used for the rest of the fourth gospel. In 150, in John 412, in John 520, in 36, in 853, 1029, 1316, 14, 12, and 28, John 15, 13, and 20, 19, and 11. Greater power is how, what that word means. I want to read the commentary. Some, a commentary just to give you perspective on what you might read if you were to go study this. Verse 12, 14, 12, it says this. He will do even greater things. The commentator goes to say, History has proved that Jesus was not here affirming that each believer will perform greater miracles than he himself did. That's what it says. History has proven that Jesus was not here affirming that each believer will perform greater miracles than he himself did. That statement is not a statement that you make by biblical deduction or by reading what the Bible talks about when it talks about followers of Jesus. That statement 
is not consistent with the history of God's people. History would say just the opposite. History would show you, well, actually, there have been people who've been raised from the dead. Actually, people are being healed like they were when Jesus was around. Just in our little church, we've had people get up out of wheelchairs. We've had spines straightened. We've had miraculous things happen. Things that happened in Jesus' ministry have happened here. History would say that actually, as followers of Jesus, these things have continued. The history of the church would demonstrate and has demonstrated that the history of Christianity is flooded with examples of testimonies of people's lives who have been miraculously changed. People who have cast out demons. People who have done and continue to do the work of Jesus. History and scripture are consistent here. And that we will do greater things than Jesus. Now, certainly we're not going to die for the atonement of all sins in the world up on the cross. We're not going to do that. That was unique to the role of Jesus, done once and for all. We don't need to do that again. But in that act, we are given authority and power to do what he did. I mean, if Jesus needed the Father's power to accomplish moving forward the kingdom of God, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to move in the power of the Spirit, What makes you think that you don't? If he really did empty himself and he was a human being on the cross, if it was really a human that hung on the cross, then the only thing that makes sense is that he too, like us, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, it says this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves them, who loves me. Whoever has my command and obeys them, he is the one who really loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Again, finally, in this kind of section of scripture, Jesus equates our love for him, not by what we know about him, if we've said the words to accept Jesus into our life, if we believe the right things, he says, your love for me will be demonstrated. Not in what we know about him, but what we do in obedience to him. If we follow his commands, if we love him, we will do the things that he did. The spirit of God was given to the disciples and us as a gift from Jesus to guide us, to comfort us, to speak to us, to encourage us, to convict us, and to heal us, and lots of other stuff. It is what Jesus, he is what Jesus left us to connect us to his power. He is who Jesus left us to live with us, to empower us to live the way that Jesus lived. How we think about the Holy Spirit is the beginning of the process and us learning to trust him and expecting his presence in our everyday life. See, when I came back that first Thursday evening, is whenever this talk was given, I, I felt like God spoke to me and he said, You know, Antley, he says, you need to help people understand what scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit. Because only in thinking correctly about the Holy Spirit will we begin to trust him and begin to live like 
the Bible tells us we should live like. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm reminding us, this is what Jesus tells us. This is what Jesus expects from us. This is what empowers us to live like Jesus. He is the one who changes everything. And we cannot accomplish a life like Jesus' life unless we're empowered by the Spirit. We can't. We can't do what Jesus did or greater things unless we're empowered by the Spirit. We learn to be like Jesus by walking in the Spirit, not by thinking or learning about the Holy Spirit. We learn to be like Jesus, and we all want to be like Jesus, by walking in the Spirit. That's the only way. Studying Scripture, I'm not saying that those are bad things, but actually learning to be like Jesus. Being like Jesus comes by experience. Unfortunately, most of us, most of us, myself included, have as our goal thinking properly about Jesus and our faith. And much of our Christian walk has been defined by not by knowing much about Jesus and experiencing very little of him. But that is actually what Christianity is. It's what separates us from every other religion. Being in a relationship with God, a living relationship with God, connected to the Father by the Holy Spirit, empowered to live a life by the Holy Spirit. John 17 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom has sent you. Eternal life here means interactive life, ongoing life, exciting life, now, not, not in heaven, now. Exciting, crazy, fun, interactive, life with Jesus. John five twelve, he who has Jesus has life. Same word here for life. Interactive life with Jesus is what being a Christian is. You cannot interact with the Bible, so to speak. You can't. Let's go to the Bible. We're going to go to dinner. Bible. You can't. You can't have a relationship with the Bible. The Bible is a tool. It's a means to an end. And the end is living like Jesus, being connected to the Father's love. And Scripture is an amazing resource. It is our foundation for everything that we do, everything that we teach, everything that we say. But you cannot open the Bible and have the Bible specifically speak to you about your life. You can't. The Holy Spirit is the one who the Father has given us to lead us, along with the foundation of Scripture. You know, I've become a good father, and I am a good father, by spending time with Chase, Cole, Blake, and Grace, interacting with them, not reading a book about being a good father. That's not what makes me a good father. What makes me a good father is by living with them, interacting with them, seeing what their disappointments are, trying to get better, asking for forgiveness a lot. You know, when younger dads come to me, and they ask, you know, Anley, you're such a great dad. You're just amazing. You're a beautiful man. You have a beautiful wife, and you're just an amazing dad. When they come to me and they say those things, it's not often or ever, but if they did. You know, I don't pull out a textbook and say, well, let me tell you what I've, you know, let me tell you what I've read about being a good dad. I talk about my experience about failing about struggling, about getting it wrong. And I talk about the times that I got it right. 
and the impact that that's had on my children's life. The Bible is something, is a tool that God's given us so that we can live, so that we can do something that's real, that's alive. Just like reading the Bible is not bad, it's good. It's the tool that God has given us to help us to live the way Jesus lived. And if you're like me, you know, you need. This should be good news to you. You should be going like, hopefully like, well, that makes a lot of sense. That's why my life has felt flat. I understand now why I'm just so unmotivated, why I'm struggling with trust. Why, you know, this makes sense now that as the market's been all over the map or my life has been all over the map, why I have, I've had unrest. Because I haven't been living empowered by the Spirit. I've been resting and trusting my own decision making. I've been looking and seeing and doing what I see, not what God is doing in me or wants to do in me through the Spirit. Let's stand. Let's stand. If we are honest with ourselves this morning, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, I don't think any of us would say, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how much of the Holy Spirit I have. I'm happy with how empowered I am. I'm happy with the miracles that Jesus is using the Holy Spirit to do in and through me. I'm happy. All my prayers are answered all the time. If people were to see me walk through the door, they'd say, look at Jesus. I don't think any of us would say that. We can never have too much of the Holy Spirit. But when we stop seeking to be empowered by the Spirit, we will lose it. We will lose it. We will lose what makes us different as a church. We'll stop hearing testimonies of the supernatural, of people being miraculously healed. We'll stop praying for people on the street. We'll stop praying for our neighbors. We'll stop risking. Risking with power is a lot more fun than risking on our own. The potential for change in the Holy Spirit is massive. This morning... I want us to be re-excited about the power of the Spirit. I want us to all be filled again, to be re-excited as a church, to be known as the church where crazy stuff happens, where the unexplainable is happening, where things that just don't make sense. I don't want to be known as a church that meets at the city rescue mission or off McDuff or that has half rich and half poor, half black and half white. I don't want to be known as that church. I want to be known as a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that prays and does crazy stuff. That's who we are. That's who we started out as. And sometimes we're like that. But we need to be like that every week, every day, every second of our life. So I'm going to, we're going to move the chairs. We're going to move four rows of the chairs. We're going to move five rows of the chairs. Let's move five rows. You know, in my life, one of the things that I learned is that I, I need prayer. I need more of the Spirit. Every chance I got whenever I was being trained, when I was in London, every single time I would come forward for prayer. I received prayer all the time still. 
of wanting to be filled, wanting to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I hope this morning that this will be an opportunity for you to take that risk, to step out, to say, Lord, I want to be empowered by your Spirit. I want to be the person giving testimonies. I want to be the person telling the crazy stories. I want to be the one with the miracles in my life. I want to be that person. If that's who you are, if that's who you want to be, I'll just encourage you to come forward and receive prayer this morning. And let's just see what God wants to do. Let's fill up the space right here. I remember when I first came back from London, we'd sing that song, you know, there must be more than this. I remember thinking like, hell yeah, there's more than this. And I'm, it's like I was a new Christian. I'm just learning about it. That should be our attitude. Yes, there's got to be more than I'm experiencing. There's always more. Until we're all raising the dead and praying for the sick and being transformed. Until we're all doing that. There's more. There's more. Until you're experiencing that, don't stop asking for it. Don't stop expecting it. Even though your experience might not tell you that it's not there. The Bible tells us it is for you. He is for you. He has targeted you. You are marked and filled He wants to empower you. Let's pray. All right, Jesus, it's go time here. And we want you to come and to impress us with the Father's power. To impress upon us his love. His desire to change us. That the life of someone who is empowered by the Spirit looks radically different than the life of somebody who isn't. And Father, we want you to empower us this morning. We want you to fill us again. And we're thankful, Lord, that when we become a Christian, like you don't seep out. But as John tells us, that we are filled with the Spirit, but that you also come alongside and are with us in a different way to empower us to make change, to live like Jesus. And Holy Spirit, this morning, we welcome you right now to come, for you to come and for you to fill us with the power that we've been talking about, the power that Jesus had to walk this earth, the power that he had when he performed miracles, when the blind would receive sight, when the deaf would receive hearing. Father, send your spirit to fill us now with that power, to heal our life, to fill us, with transformation. We all want that, Lord. We want to be the one who's telling the stories. We want to be a church that's known for transformation and life change. Just come. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Just come, Holy Spirit. Again, just if your job is close your eyes, open your hands like you want to receive a gift. Surrender yourselves to the Spirit and just ask Him to come and fill you. We welcome you, Lord. Just come and fill us. You can do this where you are. You don't have to come up here. Just close your eyes and say, Father, fill me. I want to be filled. Just fill us, Lord. up, Lord. Fill us up right now. We just welcome you, Holy Spirit. We know there's more than what we've experienced, and we want, we want more of you. 
Jesus, more of you in our life, more of our life to be like yours, more dependence on the Father. I had a picture when we were worshiping of a boxer back before he goes out to fight. He was in his warm-up room with his trainer, and he was getting his hands taped. He was shadow boxing. He put his gloves on. He's preparing for a fight. And I felt like God said, that's what this morning in ministry time is going to be about, is us preparing ourselves for the fight, us preparing ourselves so that when we leave here, we will bring devastation to the enemy. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just prepare us for what waits outside of these walls. More of your power is what we need to live like you, Lord. We know so much, but experience not nearly enough. Just come and fill us, Jesus. If prayer ministers could start praying for folks, that'd be great. If you're trained by River City Church to pray for folks, that'd be great. If you could go around and start praying for people. It's more of your power, Lord. Again, prayer ministers, we're praying for power this morning, for people to be filled with the Spirit. Just come, Lord. Just fill us with your Spirit.